things, a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. And as we talked about Hebrews 8 verse 5, we're talking about the temple, those figures that that gives us. <clears throat> and if it's a copy and a shadow of heavenly things, then this is all pointing the way back to God, back to the presence of God. As we study this and continue to study, I want you to tie these together. And uh, we've mentioned that as well. I want you to tie these together. Moses' tabernacle, the temple of Solomon, Ezekiel's temple, the church. Tie all of these together when you're studying the Bible and see how they're connected. They're not completely isolated incidences or passages of Scripture for us. They are connected and have much to do with one another. Where are these words found? After these things I saw in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. There came out from the temple the seven angels that had the seven plagues, arrayed with precious stone, pure and bright, girt about their breasts with golden girdles. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. None was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels should be finished." Perhaps those sevens will give you a clue as to where that's found. Where is that passage? Revelation. Revelation chapter 15, verse 5. I paraphrase some of that, but it's verse 5 through 8. Giving us a picture of the temple. And verse 8, he's talking about the glory of God filled the temple. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Keep that thought in mind as we study tonight. The temple was filled with the glory of God. All right, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. We'll pick up here in our study, 1 Kings 8, verse 1. Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the princes of the fathers' houses of the children of Israel, unto, the king, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And if you would imagine, first of all, we understand in previous study, the Ark and the Tabernacle are apparently not together. We've talked about in early chapters how Solomon went to Gibeon to the Tabernacle to offer sacrifice. The ark was apparently in the city of David, and they're separated. And not until they come together are we meeting what I feel like is God's ideal there for that to be. So as we are looking at the city of David, the last part of verse 1, if you'd imagine the temple mount is where the top of the mount is where the temple is, and at a lower section of that greater mount area would be the city of David. So they don't have an awful long way to take the ark, but nevertheless it needs to be in the temple. Verse 2 indicates that it's the seventh month. Now if we dig just a little deeper here, what, what is interesting about this taking place during the seventh month? What happens during the seventh month of the Jewish calendar? 
The day, one of the most important days that we consider is the day of atonement, right? The seventh month, the tenth day of the month, and then we do have the uh, Feast of Tabernacles during that month as well to follow that. I think perhaps that all of this is coming about at a very uh, good occasion, at a good time for it to happen. You think about the temple is built, the ark is being put in the temple, the day of atonement near at hand, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jerusalem is going to be filled with the people of God. What a great time for this dedication ceremony to take place. A great time for it to, to be taking place, isn't it? Seventh month, tenth day of the month, the uh, day of atonement. Now as we continue verse 3, all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel were, were assembled unto him. They were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted for their number. An innumerable number of sacrifices. And the ark, uh, or rather the priest, verse 6, the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto its place, into the holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. There we see once again the cherubim discussed in the most holy place. And they would span, their wings would span to cover, as it were, the ark of God. Again, briefly, what is this representing? What is the ark, and if you will, the mercy seat being part of that, what does that represent to Israel and to students of the Bible? Yeah, that's where God is. That's the presence of God. We talked about in our diagram just a moment ago, but we're longing to be back in the presence of God. God actually wanted to dwell amongst His people too. So we need to uh, always keep that in mind. He was wanting to be in the midst of His people, which is something uh, we see throughout the Old Testament. All right, let's pick uh, back up here verse 6 once again. So the ark is brought into the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. And as we said, these are now being brought back together. I would also consider, we need to consider this as well. What, what is in the ark at this point in time? Tables of stone. Tables of stone. We, we don't have the... We don't have the rod, Aaron's rod. We don't have the pot of manna at this point, and uh, not real sure what happened to those. But I think it is quite important that the tables of stone are in the ark of God. For this represents the word of God, doesn't it? It represents the covenant between God and his people. And if we think we include that idea of being in the present, having the presence of God there and having his word there, can we really separate God from His Word? God and His Word, in, in one sense, is saying one and the same thing. God, to know God is to know His Word, and they cannot be separated. And I find it interesting that they are both in 
that most holy place there, God and His Word. For us to know God, to know Him better, to know Him deeper, to have a better relationship with Him, the only way we can do that is through His Word, isn't it? We have that, but that is the way that we know God, through His Word. How fitting it is that they're both in the, in the most holy place. But now they're brought together, back as they should be, back into the place of worship. Uh, the ark is brought back in. So let's continue. Verse 7. The cherubim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark, and the staves thereof above. And the staves were so long that the ends of the staves were seen from the holy place before the oracle and before the holy place. They would be seen if you were in the holy place, apparently they would be seen there sticking out. And they are, they were not seen, verse 8 indicates outside, from outside the temple itself. And there they are like that unto this day. There was, verse 9, uh, verse nine there, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, or this would be what we would commonly think of as Mount Sinai. Moses put those there at <clears throat> Mount Sinai. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt, it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place. Now get this, what's going to happen. Imagine... If you will, you could be a witness to this. And verse 10 says, the priest, they come out of their, apparently through setting the ark in, they come out of the holy place. And what happens? And what does that represent to us? Glory of God. Verse 10, the, the priest come out. Verse 11 says, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. It's so thick, I guess you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Let's pause there just a minute to realize this is not, this is not a fog that sits in. This is something that would be significant, that they would understand. This happened when Moses finished building the tabernacle. And they got all the tabernacle put together. And in Exodus 40, this exact same thing happened then. It signified that God, not only is He present, but what does He think about what's taking place? The temple being built, the ark brought back into the most holy. What does this signify to us about God's thoughts about this process? He's pleased with it, isn't he? If you remember back in 1 Chronicles 28, we talked about all of this building of the temple was by God's design. God designed it. Solomon didn't go by his own blueprints. He didn't build it the way he wanted to. He built it the way God told him to. I think it's 1 Chronicles 28, verse 11 and 12. David had received that by the Spirit. They built it just like God told them to. And if you go back and think about Exodus 40, Moses finishes the tabernacle doing it just exactly like God told him to. 
When he got it all put together, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Same way here. It's all put together. It's all built. It's all prepared. They have the ark in place. And now, once again, the glory of God fills the house. What a wonderful event. And, and again, I would say that this is, no, this is no just a light fog that's drifting in the, the temple. This is undoubtedly beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is God doing this. I would submit to you that they knew as well. Now, how do you think Solomon feels as this is happening? Very, very reassuring, isn't it? Very reassuring to know that God is pleased with the building, with these events, with what's taking place, as God has blessed them with His presence as well. Now, I want to pause here just a minute to, to make another point about this. Let's go over to the book of Ezekiel, which we talked about last week. <clears throat> we looked at the book of Ezekiel a little bit in the latter part of the book. Ezekiel chapter uh, 10. We're going to go back to the earlier part of the book uh, for a moment here. As Ezekiel has expressed sin and punishment to the people in chapter 9, in chapter 10, verse 4, the glory of the Lord mounted up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the glory of God. And I would tell you that this is quite a different occasion. Verse 18, Ezekiel 10, verse 18, the glory of the Lord went forth from over the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And skip on over. This is it's like it's a, uh, a slow process here taking place. And it builds and builds until we get to chapter 11. Flip on over to chapter 11, verse 23. Well, verse 22. Ezekiel 11, verse 22. Then did the cherubim lift up their wings, and the wheels were beside them, and the glory of God, of the God of Israel, was over them above. And notice this. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mount which is on the east side of the city. It's a very sad picture that Ezekiel presents to the people here. In stark contrast to what we've seen in 1 Kings 8, the glory of the Lord fills the house. Then we go over to Ezekiel and we see what happened many years later. As the people were in captivity Ezekiel has tried to show them a picture. They're not there at the temple anymore, are they? And perhaps they think, well, the temple is destroyed and, and all hope is lost. And Ezekiel shows them a picture of one of the most important aspects of that, which we've seen tonight is the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord doing in Ezekiel? Very sad, isn't it? 
As joyous as it was and reassuring as it was in 1 Kings 8, when the glory of the Lord departs, such a sad occasion in Ezekiel to see it depart because of the sins of the people, because of their, their idolatry, their rebellion, their corruption, the glory of the Lord departs. Talk about feeling lost, separated, abandoned, and wondering what hope they have. But this is not our lesson, but read on into Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is going to give them a lot of hope about a temple that's indescribable, which we saw last week. Now let's go back to 1 Kings 8, verse 12. <clears throat> first Kings 8, picking up at verse 12. Let's pause there just a moment to see if we have any thoughts so far. Yes. When you were talking about um, the passage in First Chronicles 28, verses 11 and 12, and the plan that David had, and when you read on further to verse 19, the plan that David had was given by God. So it was God's plan, which then made me think about Hebrews 8 and a reminder to the Hebrew Christians that, they, that the Hebrews, when they were uh, doing all the things with regard to the temple, God made a specific command that they do all things according to the pattern that he's established. Mm-hmm. Then that got my mind to going, well, when we think about how... We worship God and the pattern of the church. We may not understand everything, but I think it impresses upon us this concept of pattern, impresses upon us that we need to serve and worship him according to the pattern outlined Mm -hmm. in his new covenant. So just things to think about. Very good. And in, in uh, Hebrews, he talks about, like Moses did, he talks about the pattern that, Mo, like Moses did, you need to follow that pattern. And uh, very good. Uh, the, we finished talking about the ark now. And if you di- divide this chapter, and by the way, we're just going to go through about verse 30 tonight. Uh, the last half of the chapter will be for next week. First part of the chapter is about the ark getting in the right place, and then we see what I'm going to call Solomon's sermon here next. And then following that, the prayer that Solomon gives. Verse 12, then spake Solomon, the Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee a house of habitation, a place for thee to dwell in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the assemblies. So now he's turning his attention to the assembly there, people, assembly of Israelites. All the assemblies stood. Verse 15, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spake with his mouth unto David my father, and hath with his hand fulfilled it, saying... Now I want to stress something here for just a moment in verse 15. Solomon... All the power that he had, he's not saying, look at what I did. Look at what I built. You get that in verse 15? Who is he attributing the ability to do this? To God. 
God, uh, well, Solomon had been blessed with so much wealth, untold wealth and power, and yet he's saying that God is the one that gave us this ability to do this. Solomon is very, very admirable for the things he says here, for the things he's doing. And let's dwell on that before we get too far into 1 Kings. Verse 16, since the day that I brought forth my people out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people. That was in the heart of David, my father. So this is Solomon speaking, continual, as he continues. Verse 17, it was in my father David's heart to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But God had a different plan. Verse 18, God said unto David, whereas it was in thy heart to build a house for my name, thou didst well that it was in thy heart. Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house for my name. And the Lord hath established his word that he spake, for I am risen in the room of David my father, and sit, I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon is turning to the people and he's saying, everything that God has promised has come about. The only reason we're able to be here today is for, by the providence of God, the blessings of God, the promises of God. He's promised this and he's allowed it to take place. It wasn't Solomon's power. It wasn't his wealth that did it, was it? God just simply used that as a tool, as a means to accomplish this goal. Verse 21, there have I set a place for the ark Wherein is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. See, they're hearkening back many years ago. Many years ago, what's 400 to 500 years ago? He's hearkening back to those days when God brought them out of Egypt and God gave them a covenant. And God is still keeping that covenant in the forefront of their minds so they haven't forgotten it. They can't forget it. And that's what Solomon is attributing all this to. Solomon is turning to the people and he's saying, look at what God has done for us. He's made promises. He's fulfilled those promises. And we're here today because of all of his fulfilled promises. Yes. Brian, I think it's really interesting that in several verses here, uh, it mentions that David is going to build a temple for the name of of the Lord God of Israel. And then it says it again, uh, where it says, I built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And when you think about just the power of a name, and then you connect that with what's mentioned there in chapter 21, and my mind goes back to Exodus 6, when God says, your fathers knew me as God Almighty, but that's not how you're going to know me. In this new covenant relationship, my name to you is going to be Lord. You're going to know me by a different name. And so I just think that's really interesting that he, he obviously refers to as building a temple for God, but multiple times he says, we're going to build a temple for the name of mm-hmm. the Lord God and then connects it with that covenant promise that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very significant. Uh, some of the versions, your versions may, uh, may not do this, but the word Jehovah is a little bit more similar to that word 
Yahweh that they would say, or uh, Jehovah, uh, praise you the Lord, Jehovah. It's a, it's a word, as you said, it's a word that they understand it's their covenant God. They identifies their God as their, the relationship they have with that covenant. We have another uh, comment over here. You have to remember, ever since Solomon's been little, he's known about God and the temple and the ark and everything because Bathsheba and David would take him to temple and to teach him what was right and what was wrong. So he's been very spiritually wise since a very young, young age. So he would have known what he did was not only significant for him as an individual, but for Israel as a people. So now they have somewhere to go and worship the Lord properly. And for him, this is the time when he was a good king and he was really, really spiritual. So for him, this would have been a great blessing because like I said, since childhood, it was drilled into his head that this is his destiny. This is what he's to do as a king. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. All right, we left off with verse 21. That is, uh, again, what I'm going to call this verse 12 through 21, his sermon, catching up with our outline, Solomon's sermon to Israel. He talked about God has fulfilled his promise to David, his father. The house has been built by me, and uh, God chose Solomon to do so, and he gave him the blessings and the power to do so. Solomon didn't uh, call this, as we were talking about the name, Solomon didn't insist that his name be put on the building, did he? And then now we have a place for the ark and the covenant, and I would say the temple as well, to all be together as they should be, as God designed it to be. Second uh, Chronicles 6, verse 13 indicates here a little additional information here uh, that Solomon built a platform here on this occasion to speak to the people, a platform for to be used, I guess so he could be seen better and because of the crowd of people. Second Chronicles 6 verse 13 indicates that uh, a little bit of addition there for us that we don't have in the first Kings. And I would also <clears throat> submit to you that this occasion is one filled with reverence. I think there is uh, a lot of reverence for God at this occasion. Solomon's not using his platform to entertain people, is he? He's not using it to be a comedian or to tell stories uh, that are kind of folksy stories to make a point. He's not doing anything of that nature he is very reverential in his treatment of the occasion, the temple dedication, and uh, I think this certainly spills over into the audience what they think about it as well. So we have the uh, uh, ark brought in, the Solomon sermon to the people, and now we will continue in verse 22 with Solomon's prayer. And this will take us all the way through most of the rest of the chapter. Uh, a large part of the rest of the chapter. Solomon's uh, prayer to the people. Now let's continue verse 22. 
Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keepest covenant and loving kindness with thy servants that walk before thee with all thy, their heart, who has kept with thy servant David, my father, that which thou didst promise him. Yea, thou spake with thy mouth and hast fulfilled it with thy hand as it is this day. So some of the same sentiments that he's presented to the people as he's talking directly to the people, he now turns to God. And how would you summarize some of these first few verses in the prayer? Uh, what category of praying would we call this? What, what type of, I don't know if you know what I'm looking for. Say again. Well, well, I'm not going to use that word. <laughs> I can't spell that word. I can't hardly say it either. But, but it's, uh, I, I'm going to just simplify it to just praise to God in it. He's just praising God for what He has done for these people. So oftentimes I think maybe we neglect to praise God, to simply praise God in, in our prayers. Or maybe that's a portion of our praying that we neglect. And maybe that's because we don't understand how great God is. Verse 24 who has kept, again, with thy servant David, my father, that which thou didst promise. You fulfilled your promises. Yea, thou spakest with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thy hand as it is this day. Notice again, he's giving God the glory. Giving God the glory. Who of all men upon the face of the earth had more wisdom, more power, more riches, than Solomon. And yet he, in his humble, contrite heart, is presenting God as so great to the people. Think about how great Solomon is. But he's putting God way higher than he is. Now, therefore, verse 25, O Lord, the God of Israel... Keep with thy servant David, my father, that which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, if only the children do what? If only the children obey. Now as we continue, verse 25, If only thy children take heed to their way to walk before me as thou hast walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. So it's a prayer where he acknowledges God, acknowledges his power in bringing all this about, how richly they have been blessed how great Solomon is, but yet he still has humbled himself and he acknowledges that to the people. That's very strong. Solomon is not lifting himself up. 
But what is a greater leader and a greater king is to point to God and say, look at God's power, isn't it? Isn't that a greater leader and a man of great faith to, to express this before the host of people, host of Israelites? Yes. I was just wondering, verse 26, though, I mean, he's still asking, like, will the people do this, right? Mm-hmm. He's praying they will, but he's still not. Yes, he's, he's inquiring uh, for God to, to continue fulfilling your word. Uh, please fulfill, as we look forward, we look not only, as you might say, the past. He's looking at the past. He's looking at the present day, what's happening today at the temple dedication. And he's looking forward, isn't he, to future days when those would take the throne that would follow Solomon and the children of Israel would also uh, obey God too. <clears throat> Any thoughts up to verse 26? Yes. When Solomon was younger, God asked Solomon what he wanted. He could have anything he wanted. And he says, I want wisdom. I want godly wisdom. So Solomon knew who gave him his lifestyle, his, his riches, his fame, his fortune. And he was very grateful to God for, for giving him the abilities that he gave him. And he always told the people to praise God for everything that they had because he, he knew, even at a young age, mm-hmm. godly wisdom was the most important thing to have. Okay, very good. All right, let's continue uh, with verse 27. We continue our prayer. Solomon says, But will God in very deed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Again, uh, it's amazing the recognition that Solomon sees the great power of God, doesn't he? Not only is he humble before God and attributes all of this to God, But in perspective, he's putting it all in the proper perspective, saying, God, I realize that we've, how many, how much have we poured into this house? We've we've looked at, in past weeks, we've looked at the value of the gold and the stones and all the precious stones and the silver. We've looked at that, add all that up, and look how much value is in this house. Yet Solomon is saying, I realize that you're greater than this house is. He has the proper perspective, doesn't he? Yet this house can, uh, heaven cannot contain thee, verse 27 says, how much less this house that I've built. It reminds me of the uh, sermon of uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, Stephen indicated this very thing in Acts 7 verse 48. Or 47, he said, Solomon built him a house, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in houses made with hands, as saith the prophet. And this is a quote of Isaiah 66. The heaven is my throne, the earth the footstool of my feet. What manner of house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what place will be my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Is there any way we can build a house Even as great as it was, and it was great, is there any way we can build a house that can 
contain God? No. Acts 17 speaks of that as well. Acts 17, you remember Paul was in Mars Hill and he spoke to the idolaters there. And he said, God dwells not in temples made with hands. He's making pretty much the same point, isn't he? God does not dwell in temples made with hands, yet they needed to build the temple. They needed the place to worship God. I don't want you to think about it like this as we go back to 1 Kings 8 for just a minute. Think about all that value, all that gold, the wood, the precious wood that we've talked about in past weeks, all that stone, all that effort, all that labor, all that time and overhead. It's really the best that man could muster, isn't it? It's all the best that man could muster, all the best labor, the best materials we could muster. Yet it still doesn't measure up to God, does it? There's no way. You see, the best that we could do, the the temple represented the most and the best of what man could muster, yet it could not contain God. And who realized that? It's very important, I think, today in this dedication that who realized that and acknowledged that to the people? Solomon. Verse 28, Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee this day. Notice the earnestness in verse 28. You can hear it in the words, hearken unto our cry. Our prayer is an earnest desire to God that you would hear us. And isn't that what we need as well? We want God to hear us. So as we pray, simply ask God to hear us. Oh, God, hear us. Have respect unto our prayers as we pray. There were, there's a lot of uh, things in this chapter we could use to model our own prayers after, isn't there? There's a lot of attributes that Solomon gives us here, a lot of pattern here that we could use in our own praying today. Verse 29, have respect unto our prayers this day, that thine eyes may be open toward this house, Night and day, even toward the place whereof thou hast said, My name shall be there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall pray toward this place. And hearken, unto, or hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place. Yea, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, do what? When you hear, forgive. Now, last few verses there, we're going we're gonna to stop here in verse 30 for our text tonight. But these last few verses here, he's saying, listen, have respect to our prayer, and listen to what, what we pray. So some of the items I would highlight, he says, thou, you keep covenant and you keep your promises. In regard to the temple, he highlights here in these verses, in regard to the throne of David, you've kept those promises. And going forward, he says, keep those as well as we go forward. He's acknowledged this house cannot contain thee. 
yet it still was the place they needed to worship. Hear my prayer, he says. Open your eyes to this house. Hear the supplication of not only me, but the people as well as we lift our thoughts in prayer to you, O God. As we end, verse 30, it says, forgive. Is there anything that we need more than forgiveness? I'm not sure I can think of anything that we need more than forgiveness. For the forgiveness of God removes our sin. And what is there that we need more than that? So Solomon says on behalf of the people as he's praying to God, such a beautiful prayer. God, listen to our prayer and forgive thy people. As we go forward into the next half of the chapter, he's going to give some occasions where they might need forgiveness in the coming days, in future years, that they would perhaps need forgiveness. And Solomon is praying for that as well. Any thoughts as we come to the end of the lesson tonight? Anything? All right. Thank you for the class.